to ask Ian to come up and do Scripture. Thank you. Yes, I just asked, no at all, I asked Ian if I could just do a very brief explanation of the basic feel of the chapter before he reads, because I think it makes more sense, and not least, um, for those who are just visiting today, you're going through a series on this mighty prophet Ezekiel, and he goes through three, three stages in his prophecy. Before Jerusalem fell, he was already one of the prisoners of war in Babylon. He was one of the first, well, actually the second tranche out of three. And so there he is in Babylon, but both telling the prisoners of war in Babylon and sending messages back home, listen, Jerusalem, you think it's absolutely impregnable, it's God's special city, I'm afraid because of your vile conduct, your oppression of the poor, your offering your children uh, to the gods and goddesses to get um, uh, uh, nice fertile crops next year. There in the temple of God, you've been appalling, and Jerusalem, I'm telling you, will fall. First 24 chapters, so that they would get the message and learn to repent a bit. Second half is... By now, the prisoners of war is almost the whole nation, just a few of the poor left in the Holy Land area. So nearly the whole Jewish nation is in Babylon, ashamed of themselves at last. Big change in Jewish um, self-perception, in Jewish realizing he really is God and you can't even muck around with him. So second half of Ezekiel says... You come to your senses at last. There's going to be a great future for God's people and God's work. And just before this, he has said, I'm going to enter into a new covenant with humankind under great David's greater son, who we know, of course, proved to be Jesus the Messiah. So that's the background. This chapter, he starts with an unexpected phrase, Hello, mountains of Israel. And I thought it might help if I explained that a bit. So, the Holy Land, right? And you've got um, Assyria Northwest, who had taken the northern half, Israel, as it was called, two halves of the Jewish people, Israel and Judah. Assyria, a, little, a few years earlier, had taken Israel into captivity. Okay, thank you, Colin. And um, now Babylon has taken Judah into captivity. And nearly all the population, not quite, lived, had lived until they were deported in. You can see it's a hilly country. I mean, they aren't, they aren't tall mountains, 3,000 roughly the top. Uh, but uh, it's a hilly country. This was jungle so you didn't really live in the Jordan Rift Valley. It goes all the way down to the Rift Valley in Kenya. You didn't live there. It was wild animals. It was bears. It was lions. It was wolves. And it wasn't where you did your um, agriculture or your living. Not many people lived in the coastal plain. Uh, malaria, marshy. And uh, they've only cured the malaria in about the last 25, 30 years in Israel in our own day. So you didn't live there. On the whole, the land that God watered with the rain, uh, this area, mountains of Israel, if you like, is 
the Jewish nation, the, the place where they will live, uh, the place where no, not quite the majority of them still live, but he's saying, mountains of Israel, you've been conquered by enemies, you've become the scorn of other nations, but I am going to reverse your fortunes. I'm going to bring the Jews back here, as he did 50 years later, 60 years later. I'm going to bring the Jews back here, and you will once again nurture and feed and protect and be the homeland for my people, not least in Nazareth and Bethlehem for a very special event. So mountains, you've been scorned, you're going to be their homeland again, and I've got a special future in mind. Thank you, Colin. And thank you, Ian. <laughs> and then I'm going to ask you a question, Deirdre, so be warned. is entitled A Prophecy to the Mountains of Israel. Listen to the word of God. Son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The enemy said to you, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore, prophesy and say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because they ravaged and hounded you from every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and the object of people's malicious talk and slander. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Sovereign Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and valleys, to the desolate ruins, and the deserted towns that have been plundered and ridiculed by the rest of the nations around you. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. In my burning zeal, I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against Edom. For with glee and with malice in their hearts, they made my land and their, their own possession so that they might plunder its pasture land. Therefore, prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and the hills to the ravines and the valleys this is what the sovereign Lord says I speak in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the scorn of the nations therefore this is what the Lord, sovereign Lord says I swear with uplifted hand that the nations around you will also suffer scorn but you, O mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people, Israel, for they will soon come home. I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor. You will be plowed and sown. I will multiply the number of people upon you and even the whole house of Israel. The towns will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will increase the number of men and animals upon you, and they will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past, and I will make you prosper more than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will cause people, my people Israel, to walk upon you, 
they will possess you and you will become their inheritance. You will never again deprive them of their children. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because people say to you, you devour men and deprive our nation of its children. Therefore, you will no longer devour men or make our nation's children, declares the Sovereign Lord. No longer will I make you hear the taunts of the nations and no longer will you suffer the scorn of the people or cause your nation to fall, declares the Sovereign Lord. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I despised them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave this land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It is not for my sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I give your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanliness. I will call from the corn and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse from you all your sins 
I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all those who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now being fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have rebuilt what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Once again, I will yield to the plea of the house of Israel and do this for them. I will make their people as numerous as sheep, as numerous as the flocks for offerings at Jerusalem during their appointed feasts. So will the ruined cities be filled with the flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This is the word of God. Well, Ian, pretty well done, I tell you. <laughs> Not easy to do. And Deirdre, I tell you, I just had this thought. Uh, because you have often chosen it, I, I never heard it before. I know that my Redeemer lives and prays for me. A token of his love he gives. What's that third line mean? A token of his love he gives. <laughs> See you. Aye. He died. He died for me. Right, so the cross is the token of his yes. love. Thank you very much. I mean, it was a genuine question. Oh, I wasn't he trying. <laughs> I don't spend my life tripping people up. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and am I now preaching or are we singing again? You're on. I'm on. <laughs> Let's just pray. Father God. When you speak, things happen. When you called the Jews home, the great Persian Emperor Cyrus issued a decree, Jews, do go home. You are so in charge, we bow our heads in worship of you. But your word is also a creative word of salvation and understanding for us. Grant then as your word is open to us now, our hearts may be open to you and that you may do what you describe here in these marvelous words. In our lives we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I just say what a privilege and a pleasure it is to be the uh, voice of God's word anywhere, but also, although I don't have much memory of David when he was a younger man, I was working at the BTI in Glasgow, and that's where, as you know, he studied. Uh, but I've met him recently, and it's perfectly clear what a mighty worker for uh, the work of Christ he is. I bless God that he's your pastor and I count it a privilege to enter into his series even just for one, sorry Ian, rather long chapter. Ezekiel was a lawyer as well as a priest and you get this sort of repeated, uh, as the lawyers say, for the avoidance of misunderstanding, dot, 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 and then they say it again in another phrase. So he comes over to our 
uh, neat Scottish minds as repetitive. That's just the kind of guy he was. And if I just remind you, and I think probably, Colin, it might help if you just help me by holding it. So let's just do that. And um, in a sentence, uh, Israel has collapsed and been exiled to the Assyrian Empire a couple of generations ago. Judah, the southern two tribes, namely Judah and Simeon and odds and ends of other tribes, Judah uh, representing the main of the two tribes remaining, uh, has just, at the point of our chapter, has been deported all the way, it's roughly 1,400 road miles up north through Syria, through Assyria. Babylon is now the great world empire, down what the geographers call the fertile crescent between the, Mes between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And you see Babylon here in purple, and the place they've been deported is a prisoner of war area just southeast of Babylon. So thank you very much, and I think that'll do for geography, just so that we know what is being spoken to us. So that's just to remind you. And now, after Jerusalem has fallen, God is giving them sheer comfort and mercy. Already he has said, and it might be worth if you just look it up with me, uh, in this current sort of phase of his speaking, 34 and verses 22 to 25a, chapter 34, and he has said in this, now you are here and learning to be ashamed of yourselves and wanting to get it right because here you are in total disgrace as prisoners of war. Now you're ready to hear the good news. I want to give you some good news. 22 of, verse, of chapter 34, I'm going to save my flock, unlike the rotten leaders who he's been criticizing earlier in this chapter. I'm going to save my flock. Just by the way, we see from the way God uses, uh, Jesus uses this uh, nearly 600 years later, that God had in mind more than just the flock Israel. There are other sheep and they will be one flock and one fold, and I'll be shepherd to Gentile as well as Jew. So we know that this great David's greater son has got something even bigger than Ezekiel makes fully clear. But let's read on. 22. I'm going to save my flock, brackets, including the Gentiles. They'll no longer be plundered. I'll judge between one sheep and another. And I'm going to place over my flock one shepherd, my servant David, in the form of Jesus. He will tend them, that is, look after them, tend them and be their shepherd. I, Yahweh or Jehovah or the Lord, you know, that means the great I am. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. In other words, I promise this. And, here's a crucial word, I'm going to make a covenant of peace, or an agreement of fullness of life. You know the word shalom means not just no war between nations, but it means... Um, uh, all that Gallic means by slange, by health and flourishing and, uh, um, yeah, abundance of life. So that's the promise. He has just said that. And now the question kind of becomes, um, 
what does this covenant of peace consist of? And while the first part of chapter 36 says, mountains of Israel, the Jews will get back home and you'll look after them till Messiah is born. That's the first, I don't know, 30 verses almost of this chapter. He then goes on to say, now let me tell you the bigger thing that I've got in mind for the Jewish nation once they're home and I get them sorted and great David's greatest son is born. These are the promises of the new covenant, the New Testament, if you like, the core of New Testament Christianity. And these are among the most beautiful verses in the whole of Scripture. Let's just look at them once and then consider them. Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean, cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Anyone here felt the need of inner cleansing? Sometimes I have. There's the first promise. Second promise, a heart. And the third one, a spirit. 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. This is the covenant God makes through Messiah, through Jesus. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I'll remove your obstinacy and your inability to love me. And I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my Holy Spirit in you, capital S there. And he will incline you, persuade you, enable you, make you want, motivate you, move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. Uh, and I'm just wanting in these 20 minutes now to take each of the three parts of the content of the new covenant God makes with people through the new David, namely Jesus Christ. When he comes, what will he bring the world first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles? Verse 25, spiritual cleansing. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean, cleanse you from your impurities and your idols. Verse 29, save you from all your uncleanness. He's using a metaphor here about water. The high priest, in, until Jew, Jerusalem had fallen 10 years earlier, the high priest, as you know, washed himself before, for example, taking the evidence of sacrifice into the holy place so as to say to God, a death has been died for these people's sins and therefore, Lord, pardon them for the sake of the one who has died in their place. Uh, so they washed before they did those things. Similarly, if you had done things that, uh, according to Jewish law, didn't let you go to worship, for example, if you'd got involved carrying a dead body out, grandpa had died and you'd touched a dead body, you were supposed to have about a week and you washed yourself and you kept away from the temple for a bit because God is life, he's uh, health, and he's life and health and peace and so you didn't, uh, I think the idea is you didn't bring death into the temple, wrong place for death. So you washed yourself, 
kept away for a week and you were able to go back to worship. So when we're speaking of sprinkling water, we're talking removal of that which keeps you away from God. And that is used, of course, uh, in um, here and also in the New Testament as meaning, uh, but we all have thought unclean thoughts, spoken unworthy uh, words, we've done uh, deeds that are pretty defiling one way or another. Um, and uh, the first thing that God promises through Messiah is, I will remove your uncleannesses. Here, excuse me. Oh, it's all right. I can do it. But thank you. Um, in Titus, for example. Thanks, Helen. Uh, in Titus. Let me just read it to you. God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. So you decide, I'd like my inner defilement, my guilt over past things I regret and are ashamed of, I'd like those to be washed clean away from my conscience, away from God's record. And God says that, he says to the Jews in about 580 BC, and he says to us in the New Testament confirming it, I will in the Messiah make a way of washing those things away. God saved us through that washing, that uh, new start, that uh, new you, that change of situation before God, that washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's the first of the promises. And I wonder whether anyone more than me and I certainly do, feel the need of this. You know the old hymn, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I think the process, if you are aware of stuff you need to be washed from, is something like this. Lord Jesus, although I can't see you, I know you're here in the church this morning, and um, I'm aware of thoughts that I'm ashamed of and I'm aware also of your son crucified for those very uncleannesses and since in the gospel since here in the 36th chapter of Ezekiel I see you holding out cleansing in the New Testament I'd like please to make that swap you have all that guilt. You put it at the foot of the cross and I'll have the cleansing, the David, the Jesus, the new start. I don't know if you know Pilgrim's Progress, but when Christian, the pilgrim, comes up to the cross, he feels his burden rolling off his back and it goes down into the empty tomb and he says, cool, I feel lighter. And he goes on looking at the cross and he thinks, gosh, 
This that I didn't do that time. That that I did say that time. The burden of it, the genuine guilt of it. I mean, I'm ashamed of it. What is your attitude to it? And all of that burden has rolled down into the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And Bunyan says, I went on looking at that till the springs in my eyes started leaking. And then he says, I started singing for joy. I leave that with you as an offer from Ezekiel. Anything that needs cleansing away, this is the way it's put in 1 John. If we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that brilliant? Say yes. Thank you. First part of the content of the new covenant as Ezekiel sees it, cleansing. Second promise he makes by the Holy Spirit is this. 36.26, I will give you a new heart. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The heart for the Jew, and of course, you know, we think this way ourselves, don't we? I, I love him from the heart. I love rugby. I can't stand football or whatever your scene is, you know, uh, from the heart. The heart for the Jew meant your mind and your will primarily, the way a person thinks about important things and the way we make our moral and spiritual choices. And he's already accused the Jews in terms like this before they got, before the whole nation got deported. He said to the ones still in Jerusalem being, being thrown, he said, God said to Ezekiel, the people I'm sending you to are obstinate and stubborn. The house of Israel isn't willing to listen to you. They aren't willing to listen to me. The whole nation is hardened and obstinate. Now, that's what they were like. And God says, you know the change I'm going to make in future? I'm going to remove people's coldness and unfeeling heart towards me, their hard disposition and their unwillingness to hear me and meet me, and I'm going to replace it with one that is sensitive and attracted to him and responsive to him and chooses him. I wonder if I could illustrate... Um, my wife and I were vet students together. I was just briefly a vet before I was called to the ministry. When I was called to the ministry, I was working as a vet in the, in the university vet hospital in Glasgow. And um, so Liz and I were vet students together. And uh, before I was converted, I kind of fancied her, asked her out, and she said no. Oh, not good enough. And uh, then I got converted, so for about four years, I was struggling with, mm, I still rather like Liz Gilbertson, but she's not a Christian believer, so it's not going to be her. So by the time she was converted, four years later, I didn't even fancy her at all, which was, um, <laughs> which was um, a complete puzzle to me. So she was... Um, there she was, uh, teaching veterinary surgery. She's 
specializes in small animal orthopedics. She was teaching surgery in, in a, a vet hospital in Kenya. She came back. And then Presbytery of Edinburgh, where I was working, uh, said, would I give a, a, an animal welfare sermon? Because I had BVMS, the initials, member of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons after me. And so I did an animal welfare sermon. I thought, I'd like to do this competently. So I got in touch with a vet hospital. And I thought, I know who I'll ask for, you see. So, uh, and then I thought, having gone to the vet hospital, and met Liz over some of the things I wanted to uh, use as illustrations in that uh, presb annual presbytery sermon. Uh, I asked her out again, and lo and behold, that uh, led over a couple of months to, I just can't live without this girl. Uh, I had a change of heart towards her, yet again. So having fancied her before we converted, couldn't stand aside. No, that's not quite true. Uh, um, uh, didn't fancy her at all for a year or two. And then I, th then I thought, I've got to ask her to marry me. And here we are, four children, and 42 years later, praise the Lord. Um, but I had that change of heart. My disposition towards her was altered. Now, this is what Martin Luther says about the work of Christ in the soul. And he's, this is his introduction to the letter to the Romans. In fact, probably these are the words which converted John Wesley there in May 1738 or whenever it was. None of us can keep God's... He's talking about till you get saved. None of us can keep God's law from the depths of our hearts. Everyone finds inside themselves an aversion to God and an attraction to evil. Don't we? It's funny, isn't it? You find evil attractive. It's something quite odd about that. Everyone finds himself inside themselves an aversion to God and attraction. What the Holy Spirit does this is what we're talking now, the change of heart. What, uh, the, you know, towards Liz or in this morning's preach towards God in his saviorhood. What the Holy Spirit does is put an eagerness of love in our hearts as he frees us or liberates us to put our faith in Jesus Christ. So there's something holding you back. And then the Holy Spirit does this miraculous change and from an aversion you discover Jesus is irresistible. Now isn't that a wonderful thing for us who are guilty before God and in danger before the day of judgment? What a privilege that this is what God offers as you ask Jesus to show you mercy. He works this change of heart as we decide to ask Jesus to be our saviour. Jesus, saviour, be my saviour. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Say yes. Amen. He removes the aversion and he gives the new heart. And because it's, it's so important, I'll do it anyway. Because this is so important, I'll just tell you about a time when I was a bit scared to do this, and then because I'd done some reading in the Puritans, I decided to. When I was first member of my last church in the uh, Glasgow G3, just west central Glasgow, I decided to meet every single member for about 25 minutes or so. I did 45 minutes between visits in the session clerk, that's the church secretary, very kindly did all the arrangement. One of the guys, his first name was Eric, doesn't matter what his second name was, he'd been the local, he was 92 when he came 
to the manse and sat opposite me in my study in the easy chair and I asked each member, uh, this was in about the first three years, first two and a half years when I was at Sandiford, I asked each member to come and just can I get to know who my people are on an individual basis or married couples, they came together. And so there was Eric, um, and he'd been Coley in Glasgow G3, been the coal man in, in the area where Sandiford was for all of his working life. And I asked him just um, how come he was a member. And he said, well, I was 14 or 15. And um, I just thought to myself, well, I'm the coal man in the area and uh, probably better be part of the church in the area. And churchy isn't enough, is it? So. It's always a bit chicken, the next question. So greatly daring, I asked him a question I said that I just read in the Puritans, um, the something pastor, uh, can't remember the title of the book. But anyway, he said when he catechized, when he got himself in this situation, he would ask people, have you known that warming of the heart to Jesus? So... I didn't want to put Eric off, he was 92 after all, but I thought this could be life or death. So I said, Eric, it was great talking about becoming a member of Sandiford. Can I just ask one further question? Would you say you've known that warming of the heart to Jesus Christ as he's offered to us in the Christian good news, the gospel? And he sat there, I should think for full 30 seconds, silent. You know, and I thought, what have I done? And then he gave a great beam. Now, I can't put on a Glasgow accent, but he gave a great beam and he said, well, I have the new. <laughs> and I thought, I don't mind when it happened. Maybe it happened five seconds ago. Maybe it happened 60 years ago. But he's realized God has worked a change in his heart. He loves Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you. Say yes, that's right. <laughs> so here's, there are three really great things that Ezekiel speaks of here. They are core of the Christian gospel, and he gives them about 580 years before Jesus ever arrived. A cleansing, an absolving from our sin. He pardons them. He washes us clean away. We are... In his sight as though we had never sinned. What is justification? An act of God's free grace in which he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight for the righteousness of Christ put to our account and received just through faith, just through trusting him. He washes away our sins. We're right in his sight. Cleansing, step one. Step two, change in the heart. An innate aversion to God gets changed by the miraculous work of God in our souls and we find Jesus irresistible after all and discovery is wonderful. Third one, what is it? Chapter 36. And I will put a new, oh, is this children coming in already? And I'll put a new spirit in you 
Uh, I will put my spirit in you, verse 27, and so as to motivate, enable you, move you uh, to follow my decrees and want to live pleasing to me, to observe all my laws. What is a person's spirit? You know, the heart in Hebrew thought is the way you think and, as it were, the way in which you make moral choices. That's the heart of you, the inner self. The spirit is um, not dissimilar. It is the inner you, but I think it is especially the kind of the impulse, the motivation, that which uh, keeps you going. The thing that really, I thought, illustrated it rather well. I don't know how many of you like athletics. I used to be a middle distance runner a little bit, mile and half mile, so I love watching what's going on in Glasgow at the moment. And on Friday night, 9.40, some of you I'm sure were watching Laura Muir, also a vet, hooray! And um, uh, she was doing the 3,000 meters and uh, just before, she, you know she looks so sort of calm and serene and you'd never think she had a thought or a determination in her mind. Then, about 20 meters before the bell. You know, the bell is the last time round the circuit. I don't know if any of you saw of it. Her face changed. She was running like Laura Mouillot, and suddenly she went. <laughs> and I thought, if I was the rest of the crowd, I would now be scared. And if any of you saw it, there was only one person she hadn't lapped out of all those top runners by the time she had done the final circuit. She left poor old whoever the other people were and were the real danger. She left them standing. Talk about a clean pair of heels. Now that is the spirit in a person. And what God says is, I will implant, beget, uh, do a personal invasion and new birth that is me putting my life inside you, the work of the Holy Spirit that was physically evidenced in the person and life of Jesus Christ. He, the Holy Spirit, I will beget in your life. Third miracle of the new covenant promised here in Ezekiel. What was uppermost in Jesus' mind just before he went to his death? I will give you another spirit who will be another me residing inside you. What was uppermost immediately after he rose from the dead and that very first time when he met them in the upper room, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What was his parting word before he ascended into heaven? What was his parting word before he ascended into heaven? Acts chapter 1. Sorry, forgot to put my little marker in. But here it is. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he gets taken up from their eyes. What was his first ministry once he was in heaven? Exalted the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out this day of Pentecost experience that you can now see and hear. First gift, the pouring of the Holy Spirit. What was the first Christian promise? Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for your sins to be forgiven. That's the cleansing. And you will receive, what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. 
What was the first test of are they real Christians or not? Of whether you're just churchy or are actually going to be safe on the great day of judgment. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus, found the disciples, and he wanted to know if the real thing. What did he ask them? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Here is the third promise. A miracle in which he begets a new personal life, God the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Gift of gifts, grace of grace, that God should condescend to make your heart his dwelling place and be your bosom friend. Gift of gifts, grace of grace, that God should condescend to make our hearts his dwelling place. God, you. And I only want to say, will there be people willing to pray, able to pray, if anybody wants to come for prayer help? If you would like to get this clearer, If, like Eric, you need to say, I will the new, come up and ask afterwards, because this is life from death. This is safety on judgment day compared with danger and final exclusion on judgment day. What a gospel Ezekiel promises. There isn't, I mean, there are some wonderful words in the Bible. There are some as good as this, John 3, 16. You all and I know, we know them. But there isn't a more beautiful passage in the whole of Holy Scripture than this one. What does God offer you in great David's greater son in choosing him, surrendering to him? Cleansing. Hallelujah. A change of heart, great, and his life indwelling. Make sure you've got him. Shall we pray? Father, your grace is just fabulous. As the kids come in, we'd like to say thank you that you disclose yourself to be a gracious, giving, and generous Father. Help us to believe and enjoy it, and make it our own for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.